friends. How are you? Well, <laughs> it's so complicated, all the things. Isn't it, Greg? <laughs> I know. So guys, um, wow, that was an interesting morning, wasn't it? I have like a million emotions right now. I don't know which one to sit on. Um, but I do have a word from our Father God for us today, and I'm really excited to talk about it, to share it with you. Um, when Kurt was talking about the importance of us bringing his spirit to this world, was there any sense in you of, I don't really want to do that? Because <laughs> there is a sense of that in me. Anyone else kind of feel like, oh man. It just feels like a lot, right? And I'm just wondering if you, like me, feel like some people seem better at it than others. Like Kurt, he literally can talk to anyone, right? Have you noticed that about him? He likes, talks to people about Jesus all the time like it's no big deal. Have you noticed that about him? And he's just kind of out there, right? Well, what do you do if you're not out there like that? Um, sometimes when I talk to people, literally, no words in my brain. There's nothing to access. Anyone else have that? You walk up to, if, if you've ever met me one-on-one -on -one and you're like, is she a little weird? It's because I'm desperately searching in my brain for a sentence that won't make me look crazy. So, and then I stand there looking crazy because I can't get a sentence. Anyone else? A little bit like that. Yeah, so you know, God made us diverse. We're all different, and that's okay. In our hearts, do we think that some people have a closer relationship with God than others, and that's just how it is? Have you ever looked at someone and thought, man, they just have a genuine relationship with God, like it's genuine, it's legit, and it's super close, and I'm just not sure I could ever connect with God like that. Have you ever felt that way? Do we think maybe it's like certain personalities can connect with God more? I mean, there are certain personalities that are just better at human relationships in general, right? Maybe it's the same with God. Maybe it's like a predisposition towards connecting spiritually. Like, are there are some people that are just genetically more suited to spirituality? Maybe? Um, could it be like attention span? <laughs> Have you guys heard of Beth Moore? She's a Bible teacher. She was talking about her prayer closet and how much time she spends in her prayer closet. I don't have a prayer closet. I'd have to move coats and shoes or something. Um, and she spends hours in there, and as she was talking about it, her face was beaming, and you could just sense this joy of her time that she spends with the Lord, and it's hours upon hours a day, and it's so rich, and it's so alive, and I was like, that sounds so impossible, and <laughs> I don't know, attention span? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying, Zach? Or life season. Clearly she has no small children at home. <laughs> is connecting with God really an option for everyone? For you. Is it an option for you? 
Is connecting with God even possible for you? And who you are, your personality, your season of life, your intelligence level, your predispositions, or maybe it's not for you. Have you ever thought about that? That's what we're going to talk about today. Is that okay? Originally, I picked this passage that we're diving into based on Kurt's original um, empowerment series. Everyone remember the empowerment series? Yes. And then he came back from summer break and he's like, we are not finishing the empowerment series. We, God has moved us onto something new. And I was like, but, but I have this <laughs> passage that <laughs> I really feel like it's from the Lord. And guess what? It's a reset passage, so we're all good. But this has been on my heart for a while and I'm super excited to talk about it. All right, so we're going to be in Luke 23 and 24 today. So if you have your Bibles, grab them out. Of course, I do have the cheat sheet up on the screen for just so we can all read it in the same translation. And, and a really amazing guy is praying for the sermon today. It's my husband. Because <laughs> I just love um, him praying for us. Go ahead, honey. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we get to worship you and serve you and see you move in our lives. So Holy Spirit, our hearts and minds, our spirits are open to hearing from you and hearing what you have uh, to change in us so that we can be more like you and so that we can see what you're doing in this world and around us. Father, speak through Jess. Let her continue to hear you and speak your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just sipping a little throat coat tea. Anyone else? Holler to the throat coat. It's all kind of going around. All right, guys, here we go. I never remember which way to click this thing. Not that way. No, it's beeping at me, David. Am I, did I get it? Okay, Luke 23. So this is Resurrection Sunday. Do you know what happened on Resurrection Sunday? Jesus rose from the dead. Literally the best day in the calendar of humanity ever this day. True? This is the day. So if you are like a follower of Jesus, you are anticipating this day, right? Are you anticipating this day? Do you know that it's coming? If you're a follower of Jesus back then, if you're a disciple, do you know that resurrection is coming? Why not? Okay, a little louder. Nikki, no. That's right. That's the way to do it. You guys, here's an interesting fun fact. Jesus had clearly told his disciples and followers three times, the Son of Man will be handed over to the hands of sinners, he will be killed, and three days later will rise again. How many times did he say it? How many times did they understand what he was saying? Zero. <laughs> so here we go. That's what's happening, okay? The women who had come with him from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Because even if Jesus is dying and changing the world, you should still obey the laws that you've always followed. 
I mean, they were just doing what was right in their minds, right? Okay. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared to embalm him because they did not know what to do with his body. So they were just going to, like, mummify him. So that's what they were coming to do. They're all prepped. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. And they were so confused. Why? Because they didn't know. They didn't know what was happening. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Man, this is it. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? And the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? I love this. You guys, this is what I love. God does this with us. He tells us stuff. He speaks about our futures. He speaks purpose and promise and destiny and hope and life. And we're like, hmm? I don't remember it. But what I love is the angels are not mad at them. They're not, they're not here to scold them, you stupid, faithless humans. That's not, okay? It's okay. <laughs> this is good. This is a good thing. Then they remembered his words. Oh, it's so good. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the 11. That's 12 minus 1, right? The disciples. And all the rest. So, you know, there were people who had followed Jesus, men and women and children who had followed Jesus, and they were all there in a room. They were all just gathered. What were they doing? Why were they all together? What was going on? Do you guys know? They were hiding. They were terrified. Why were they afraid? Who's next? Who's going to get arrested and crucified next? And if we all hide together... That, like, helps, helps our odds. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know. It's funny. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. What? What? You guys, people have just met angels. They're running, and they're not saying, hey, you guys, we had this crazy thought. What if he didn't actually die forever? What if he's going to get resurrected? Oh, and they didn't believe them. They thought it was an idle tale. That's not what they said. Okay? The ladies came and said, we just went to the tomb. There were dazzling beings. We fell to the ground in terror. Then they told us, remember Jesus said this was the plan? And then we remembered? You guys, it's legit. It's happening. And they're all like... Nah. This, this is crazy town. But Peter, oh my gosh, I love Peter so much. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stopped stooping and looking in. Okay. But Peter. So picture the scene. You've got the ladies. By the way, these ladies were respected and valued in this community. 
Okay, Jesus elevated women, and this was a community that had spent three years together. So their words were valued. So I don't want you to think that it was because that they didn't believe the ladies, okay? That's not what's going on here. There's something else going on here, and we need to know. So that's why we're digging into it. So everyone's like, nah. But Peter gets up and runs out. Now, other Gospels talk about how John went too, but Luke's really focusing on Peter, so that's what we're going to do today, okay? Why did Peter get up? What's going on? He remembered? You think he remembered? I like that, Larry. He had hope of what? Just that it could be true. So like belief, like hope. Okay, what else was going on with Peter? Guilt. Talk about that, Sandy. Yeah. It's really good. Did you hear what she said? I realize that people online won't be able to hear it. Sandy said that he had guilt because he denied Jesus three times and he wanted to be forgiven, wanted to have another chance. That sounds right, right? All of the above. What else do we know about Peter as, as a person? What is Peter known for? Impulsive? What else do we know about Peter? Let's think about the scope of Peter, that all of the records about him through the Gospels. What else do we know about Peter? Let's talk about it. Bold? You're going to have to be super loud because my ears are blocked. from. <laughs> he wants to see for himself. He kind of was that guy. He's like, I'm not going to, secondhand is not good enough for me. Yeah. What else? Let's think about some of the stories. Spontaneous? Brave. It's a good one. He's the one that said, if that's you, Jesus, can I come out of the boat too and walk on water? And everyone else was like, nah. <laughs> and he's getting out of the boat. What else do we know about him? Yeah, broken, filter. broken filter. Okay, talk about it more, Zach. It feels like you relate to Peter a little bit. <laughs> Peter says, no, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. So this is great. So yeah, Jesus is saying, well, you know, who, who am I? And the guys are like, well, some say you're Elijah and some say, you know, some say, some say, some say. And he turns to Peter and says, but who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Right. And then Jesus is like, because of this revelation, like this is the truth build my church on this rock. And then, yeah, Jesus says, and I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no, you're not. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. So Peter is like the one that's getting out of the boat and then being told, you have such little faith. Poor guy. I mean, if I was Jesus, I would say to Peter, good, try, buddy. But no, no. <laughs> Just smack him when he's down, literally drowning. Anyway. Um, you guys, he was chosen to witness transfiguration. So only the three, James, John, and Peter, were selected by Jesus to see the transfiguration. This is when Jesus was talking to Elijah and Moses, and uh, 
And basically, heaven rips open, and he, they witnessed, they actually fell asleep, it's what they do. And, um, and then they woke up <laughs> and saw the transfiguration happening, and were like, what? This is amazing. And then Peter, shoot from the hip, Peter says, let's build temples, let's build like, let's worship all of the things. And then Jesus is like, dude, wrong again. Poor Peter. Oh, man. Um, he was also chosen to be at Jairus's daughter's resurrection. Okay. So woman with the issue of blood, Jairus. I shared about this a few months ago because it's like a passion story for me. But right. And then they go on and Jairus's daughter has died. And Jesus says, no one else My three and the parents of the daughter go in. So Peter saw more miracles than the bulk of the other disciples. It's pretty interesting, right? Um, Also, he was chosen to prepare the Last Supper. John and Peter were chosen to go ahead. Jesus gave, they were like, well, how do we know? And then Jesus is like, there's going to be a guy. He's going to be drawing water out of it. Do you know this whole story? It's very awesome. Jesus gave them like an escape room clue list of how to set up the Passover. Do you guys know that? You should read it. It's the best story. It's basically like, follow this clue, and then there's another clue, and then follow him, and then talk to someone else. It's like this whole thing to prepare the final meal that Jesus has with his guys. Question for you. What kind of a person do you choose to prepare something that involves a lot of details and is really significant that it's done right? Who do you choose to do that? Chris Maddox. <laughs> you, do you choose a loudmouth, impulsive, reckless, shoot-from-the-hip loser? Is that who you choose? Do you choose the, the crazy adrenaline junkie disciple to take care of these very important details, to follow clear instructions and not take things into your own hands and do whatever you want. So we have a little conflict of who Peter is right now. Because didn't we describe him as kind of being this, right? Jump from the boat, impulsive, says what he, not much filter, does crazy Peter. It seems to me that Jesus actually has selected Peter for... um, a lot of other things that we haven't picked out that Peter has. Attention to detail, follow through, treats things that are sacred in a sacred way, responsible, trustworthy. These are not words we used about Peter, are they? No. Um, One more for you. He's the only one that has a recorded personal call to ministry after Jesus was resurrected. John doesn't even get that. John the Beloved doesn't even get that. Peter, the reckless, adrenaline junkie guy, got a very personal call. This is interesting, right? Here's what I'm wondering. When you read through the Gospels and you read about Peter, do we dismiss him as this, like, guy, oh, Peter, of course he's the one that spoke up. He's the loudmouth. And then we haven't actually said what's real about Peter. Let's be true here. Peter, I want to argue, despite John being called the beloved, 
I believe that Peter has the most significant relationship with Jesus of any human on this planet ever. And I don't think we have looked at his life rightly. You know? Especially if you're not that kind of personality. Because I think if you're that kind of personality, you're like, Peter's my guy, I totally relate to him, he's my example, he's my role model. But for the rest of us who are not that personality, anyone, just me? We may have said, oh, great, Peter, he's the one, he's out there, great, fine. But let's move on to the more demure disciples because I relate to them better. Do you know what I'm saying? So as I'm reading through this passage and prepping for the message, this speed bump that sticks out for me is, but Peter, but Peter. Peter had something going on in him that the rest of the disciples just did not have going on in them, right? That makes me want to pay attention and go back and consider what I may have missed about Peter in the past. So, Every time I prep a sermon, I always ask the Lord, what do you want to say to us through this? And what I felt like I was supposed to ask him is, what makes some people more connected to you, God, than others? And I do not like his answer, and I do not want to share it. (laughs) But... God took me through my baggage, and so now I'm prepared to share it with you. (laughs) What I felt like he said to me, Father, why do some people seem to have a closer relationship with, with you than others? And what I felt he said to me is, because they want it. And I was so mad, like immediately mad. And, and anytime you get offended, do you guys know that when you get offended, it's because you have an issue? It's usually not because the other person has an issue. They just pushed your button real good, and now you're, like, offended. And so, for me, I knew straight away, wow, I am deeply offended by the fact that God said some people want it more than others. And then I got, like, into this, like, because <laughs> I was thinking about Beth Moore and her prayer closet um, and her hours of free time. <laughs> and I was thinking, great. Oh, great. So you, like, reward the people who want it more, Well, they want it more because they have more free time, so they have time to want it more. Well, I would want it more if I had some free time. What, do I not want it more enough, God? So so great. So, oh, that's lovely. You know what I mean? (laughs) I was so offended by it because I was like, great. You know. But what I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, calm down. (laughs) That's not what he said. He didn't say, They want it more, and so they spend more time in prayer, more time in the Bible. They make key decisions. You know what I mean? He didn't say all that other stuff. That was my extra baggage. He just said because they want it. So then I'm like, ah, I got it. I asked the wrong question. So now I'm going to ask specifically, Father, why did Peter have a closer relationship with you than the others? Guess what he said? Because he wanted it. (laughs) And I was like, dang it, same answer. So... (laughs) He wanted it. Okay, we're going to come back to that. So, have you guys heard of Carolyn Webb? Have you heard of Carolyn Webb? So, um, actually, (laughs) I wanted to bring the book to show you because it's called How to Have a Good Day. And that title to me makes it seem like it would be a pamphlet. 
of like unicorns and rainbows, how to have a good day. But it's actually quite the book, okay? And it's a science book. She, her organization called uh, Seven Shift or Shift Seven, I can't remember, sorry, Carolyn Webb. Um, she, so her company exists to use behavioral science tools to help individuals, teams, and corporate um, environments be more successful and for people to have fulfillment in the workplace. So a fascinating book. If you are into that kind of thing, it's fascinating. But I heard an interview with her, and she was talking about something super interesting, and it made me uh, get the book from the library because I wanted to know more. She talks about how our brains work, okay? So if you're like, I'm not very sciencey, I have good news. I'm your perfect tour. So <laughs> If you are science, you get the book. So, um, so our brains are scanning our environment constantly and interpreting and processing content, right? That's what our brains do. And Carolyn Webb says, every moment of the day, our brain is busy scanning the environment for unpleasant things we should avoid and pleasant things we should rush toward. Is this a threat or a reward is the first question our brain asks of everything we encounter, each email we read, each conversation we have. Depending on the answer, it triggers the appropriate behavior in us. Either we take steps to defend ourselves from the threat or we embrace the reward with delight. Okay, so our brains, you get this, right? Oh, danger, fight, flight, freeze response. Our brains narrow down. Do you guys know this about our brains? When we feel threatened, our brain diverts all of its energy down to be super focused. And the reason is you need focus to escape danger, right? What happens, <laughs> the problem with this is our prefrontal cortex, where our higher processing, our intelligence basically lives there, has no energy going to it. So in our fight, flight, or freeze response, we are, are not as intelligent as we actually are. Our thinker is turned off, basically. And we're like, oh my god, I'm gonna die! Right, like you just, and then you're like, oh, it was not a monster in my house, it was a coat on a hook. Like, you know, like once your thinker comes back on, then you can, oh, right, I see that, okay. So what's interesting about this is that it's not just fight or flight or freeze. It's an axis, discover, defend, axis, okay? So defense mode, this is your fight, flight, or freeze. And discovery is your, ooh, there's goodies here and I wanna be a part of it. It's our delight um, response area, okay. Defensive mode, it's times when we're focused on protecting ourselves, right? That makes sense, right? The spectrum is fight, flight, freeze, but to any arousal of self, like, I gotta get ready for work, I'm late. Ah! Get ready for work, rush out the door. That's defensive mode, your brain is narrowed down, you're focused on what you're doing, all of the other thoughts get put on hold, and you're in defensive mode because you have to get a specific task done, okay? So don't think of defensive mode like, well, I'm just feeling defensive, that's, that's part of it. But it's any time you're like, super focused, I have to get this task done. It could even be when you're like giving a presentation at work and you're narrowed in and you're focused on getting it done, you're in defensive mode, okay? Um, when a situation feels out of our control, so what our, <laughs> what our bodies do is releases adrenaline 
and noradrenaline and cortisol. And we get this wash through our bodies, okay? And uh, it helps us rise to the challenge. But th those, um, those substances make our brain shift our resources, so it takes our strongest cognitive skills offline, okay? So do you guys getting the picture of this? Okay. Um, tunnel vision, survival mode, not our smartest selves. Got it? Defensive mode, okay. So a neurobiologist at Yale describes this, and, and um, Carolyn quotes her in the book, and I just, this really helped me understand. So exposure to even fairly mild negative stress can significantly reduce the amount of activity in the brain's prefrontal cortex, where most of the deliberate systems work gets done. So like you're, you're, not, you're not deliberate would be like, ah! right? But you're deliberate is like, I'm thinking things through, I'm understanding, I'm engaged, okay. Fairly mild negative stress. That describes life. I'm like, <laughs> that is constant. So what they're arguing in the book or presenting is that we are in defensive mode all the time. <laughs> like we're just there all the time. Which means we are not as smart as we could be because we're, we are in this tunneled, focused I've got to survive. Now imagine this. Imagine you're meeting someone new and you get super tunnel vision and you're trying to like connect with them and but your smarts are shut off. <laughs> That's not going to work well for building a relationship, right? Think about it. You go into the workplace and you walk past that coworker and they like give you a weird look and then you're like <laughs> defensive mode. Well, he had just had a tummy ache, that's all. It wasn't about you, but now you're in defensive mode and you head into a meeting with them and you're just in defensive mode, right? So you can see how this is going to impact a lot of what we do. Consider how people drive, all right? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Confessions from the... Okay. So defensive mode, we're living in reaction. We're feeling overwhelmed, tr triggered by any perceived threat to well-being, including obligations. I don't want to do this. We slide down this axis and we sit in defensive mode. I don't want to do this. Okay. Discovery mode. Our happy friend. We want to access this more, right? Times when we're seeking out rewarding experiences. Looks for rewards including food, praise, pleasure, dopamine and endorphins get released. The brain seeks out whatever promises to be rewarding and puts us into anticipatory, exploratory mental state. So imagine meeting somebody when you're in discovery mode. It's so nice to meet you. Tell me about yourself. I would love to know you. I'm so excited. My brain's open. I'm alert. Your prefrontal cortex is engaged. You can actually learn. Fascinating. Is this not fascinating? Okay. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for the encouragement. Positioned for intelligent insight. If you want to be really great in your work meeting, Scoot along to discovery mode, because there is nothing good down in defensive mode. You're going to not say the right thing. Okay. Learning, fulfillment. This is the sweet spot. Okay. Looking for awards, mental clarity, seeking opportunity, and can be accessed intentionally. So the rest of her book, it's a lot, but there's a lot in there. And it's about um, working out how to be in discovery mode, amongst other things. There's lots of cool things in her book. <clears throat> Two keys for discovery mode that I think can help us 
in our journeys relationally with other humans and also with God. You can access discovery mode by being intentional to be there. So I've been experimenting on my children. And um, our youngest loves soccer, except for when we get there and all of his gear's on and he's supposed to be playing a game and then he screams. I know, but it was free, Carrie, and so <laughs> I don't want him to not play. You know what I'm saying? I know. It's sad, but you've got to do hard things sometimes. And you know, I know that getting on a field and kicking a ball can be daunting, but I believe in him. So we did an experiment, right, babe, on Saturday, and so we were like sliding him along the access. Hey, Ziki, what do you love about soccer? I like kicking the ball. Yeah, buddy, it's so cool. Don't you love kicking a ball? Yes, are you excited to go kick a ball today? Yes! And we just helped him scoot along. We worked out some of the things that put him in defensive mode about soccer, and we like scooted him along. Did he get out on the field this week? He got out on the field this week. You guys, I can't even believe it. We're almost done with the season, but he finally got out on the field, and it's so exciting. But you guys, we saw the difference in him. I've been talking to my older kids. We're homeschoolers, so I'm saying to them, you don't want to learn right now. I can see you don't want to learn right now. So we have two choices. You say, stay in defensive mode, and you literally cannot learn here. Do you guys know that? If you're in defensive mode, you cannot learn. Your smarts are turned off. If we are going to have a good day, we're going to have to work out how for you to get your brain in discovery mode. Let's be intentional about it. Okay, second thing to help you get into discovery mode. Focused time on things that propel you forward in the projects that matter to you. So one of the things that can keep us in defensive mode is constant interruption. Even though you're working on something you love, you're getting interrupted all the time and you never get to finish it. So part of being in discovery mode is it's this open, engaged, fulfilling state of mind. And then you're constantly being interrupted by irritating people and it like slides you down the axis. Doesn't that sound like scheduling a quiet time <laughs> with Jesus? I love it when science explains things we already knew about spiritual walks, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> By the way, try this on your roommates, your parents, your children, your spouse. Imagine what it would be like if you're fighting with someone, a roommate, a spouse, a parent, whoever it is, and you enter the conversation down here. Do you think either of you are going to learn anything and anything is going to advance from it's not? So you're going to have to work out how to get in discovery mode yourself and how to bring other people with you. <laughs> I think we have some conflict, but I love you so much. And I love sharing life with you. And there's so much good about our relationship. Could we chat about the thing that's a hiccup for us right now? You know what I mean? Like pull people to the discovery mode. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So I'm reading this book. I've been listening to some, um, the, the way I heard about it is I heard her uh, being interviewed and then I got the book, right? And, and I'm, I'm in this zone thinking about it and I realized Peter is a man who lives in discovery mode. 
It's not that he's bold, crazy, adrenaline, blah, blah, blah. He, he may be. I don't. We'll meet him one day and we'll all be like, oh, see, he's exactly what we thought. But, but think about him, you guys. He got out of the boat, walked on water, failed, and then Jesus rebuked him. If that had been me, do you know what I would have done? Then I'm going back to my home. I am done with Jesus and all the things because now I feel ridiculous. He just chewed me out in front of all the other people and I'm embarrassed and I'm out. Somehow the dude stayed (laughs) engaged and he's like, yeah, I'm in, Jesus. Tell me how awful I am again. You know, like he just, nothing got him. Nothing, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Peter, brain open, engaged, interested, seeking. He has questions to learn. So don't think that discovery mode means that you can't ever question or doubt. The difference is in defensive mode, you question like this. Well, you know... I know the Bible says X, Y, Z, but I don't believe it. And so I don't, whatever, God, like, tell me about it. (laughs) Teach me about it if you want. I mean, there's no, (laughs) but if you're in discovery mode and you say, I am struggling with this passage of scripture. I don't know how to apply it in my day and age. I don't know what to do with it. People are really questioning it. Father, I want to hear your heart about it. Would you teach me what this means? That is a totally different questioning than that questioning. Have you seen yourself do (laughs) these things? I mean, I feel like this is super helpful. And Peter is our hero at this. You know, Jesus called him Satan, you guys. (laughs) There's no one else that's been like, he is, if he was super offended by God and walked away, we would totally be like, I get it, dude. I get it. And he didn't. He is our best role model for how to connect with God on a deeper level. It wasn't his personality. It wasn't his intelligence. He was an uneducated fisherman. It wasn't that he was a relational expert, right? It wasn't that he got it all right. He wasn't Mr. Perfect. Always gives Jesus the answer he wants. No, opposite of that. Do you know what I'm saying? Peter is this extraordinary example for us. How do we relate to God? Discovery or defensive? I think this is key for my life. How does it feel for you? Opportunity or obligation? Well, I guess I should pray. I guess I should read my Bible more. Well, it's Sunday. I guess I should go to church. Well, the music is starting, so I guess I should sing. I guess, oh, they want me to stand. I guess I should stand. Like, (laughs) there's no joy here. There's no joy here. And we're in control of the axis we're on, right? Do you see? We are in control of this. And suddenly when I say, Father, why is it that some people seem to connect more deeply with you than others? And he says, because they want to. I get it. (laughs) I get it. Peter chose. Do you know how he was recruited by Jesus? Jesus used his boat. Hey, can I use your boat? Sure. I mean, he was used by Jesus just because he had a boat. Which disciple do I want to choose first? The guy with the boat. That would be helpful. (laughs) 
gets in the boat. There's Peter in the boat. Jesus is preaching. And then they get done. And Jesus says, throw your nets over. And Peter says, well, I fished all night. Professional. Um, but sure, if you think, whatever. And then hold in so much fish that they start to sink. And Peter's response is, he falls to his knees and says, you should leave. I'm a sinner. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He immediately knew he was dealing with, right? And, and then Jesus said, don't worry. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And do you know what Peter said? I am in. I am in. It was like he, he's the epitome of discovery mode. And from then on, he was in. Despite being Peter. <laughs> By the way, the guys in the room, the, the people in the room, when the ladies came and said, we just saw angels and Jesus, and they were like, nah. You can't get more in defensive mode than when you think someone's coming to kill you, right? I mean, those guys were in such deep defensive mode, but Peter, it's beautiful, isn't it? I want to be like Peter. Consider this verse in the light of discovery mode. It is impossible to please God apart from faith, and why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. Kind of describes discovery mode, doesn't it? It's impossible to connect with God unless we have the faith to believe he exists and he wants to connect with you. I'm inviting you to slide your axis down to the discovery mode purposefully. It's going to kind of be a daily moment by moment thing, isn't it? Because <laughs> I think we do this <laughs> any perceived threat. <laughs> if you think you have to pray more and re read your Bible more and do all the things, I'd just like you to forget it. <laughs> forget all the shoulds. It's not what you're doing, it's how you're doing it, right? So right at the end, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home. He didn't go back to the group. Went home, it says, amazed at what had happened. You guys, you are, we are connecting with a living God who wants to be in relationship with us. So when we reach out to connect with him and our hearts are open, our minds are engaged and we're looking for him to respond, do you know what the fruit is? Being amazed. Being amazed. God wants to meet with you. He won't let you down. I think part of why we're in defensive mode a lot is because we don't think he's actually going to come through. But he does every time. What could this look like in your life? The next time you pray, the next time you pull out your Bible, take a second and say, I am shimmying along my axis. <laughs> I'm excited to read the word of God. It is alive. It's going to transform me and I'm excited. God, I'm excited to meet with you. Do whatever you can to get your brain out of the funk that it lives in every day. What do you think? Is Peter your new hero? I love Peter. Oh, you guys. I want to be like Peter. Let's take communion together. And let's pray 
with an open mind and heart to connect with God. I need a communion. (laughs) How do you feel? Okay? Encouraged? Inspired? Let's talk to Jesus about it together, okay? died to connect us with our creator. This is all about you knowing him. And his body was broken to reconcile us with him. And we take his body and we take his blood and we put it inside of us and we say, I'm in, right? Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you want to connect with us. Thank you. Thank you that we're just not alone on this planet, fending for ourselves. Thank you that you died for us. Yeah.